Hey friends, welcome to RUF. Uh, if you've not been with us yet this semester, uh, we are working through a series that we're calling, through a study in Hebrews 11, we're calling it Faith Reconstructed. And tonight we're coming to think about a faith that rests and rejoices in creation. And to, to do our, we're going to do one pa- our passage from Hebrews and then a parallel passage from Genesis 1, and then we're going to talk about creation tonight. Let's start with our passage first. Uh, by faith, Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. And then Genesis 1, 1 through 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Pray with me, and then let's dive into what I want to talk about tonight, thinking about a faith that rests and rejoices in creation. Let's pray first. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that... um, that by it, through the work of your spirit, you point us to the, the work of your son. Lord, I, I pray um, that this sermon, that every sermon that is ever preached here at RUF at USC would be an invitation to see the goodness and the grace and the love and the beauty of the redemption that is in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray as we come to think about uh, our roots, as we, as we come to think about our origin story, as we come to think about um, the canon event that is creation for us. Lord, would you do your work among us? Would you give faith to those of us who don't yet have it, a faith that rests uh, in, the, in your work of grace from the very beginning before even the foundations of the world that you will carry through into the marriage supper of the Lamb? Lord, we cannot do this for ourselves, but would you be the one who is our teacher? Would you be the one who is our comforter? Would you be the one who uh, gives us uh, joyfully uh, what we need to hear from you tonight. We pray these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Barbie, I talked a lot, talked a lot about Barbie. <laughs> but the scene, one of the scenes that's the most powerful to me is, if, if you've not seen it, spoiler, but one of the things as she wrestles with understanding herself and who she is, one of the things that happens toward the end of the movie is she has to go back to her maker. And she has this beautiful, deep conversation with her maker from which the, the Billie Eilish song that gives, gives some of us chills, maybe not all of us chills, we could talk about it. But for Barbie to understand herself, for Barbie to understand her purpose, she has to go back to her maker. That's the invitation of Hebrews 11, verse 3. It's interesting that the author of Hebrews, as he starts this journey of talking about what faith is, and as we're calling it faith reconstructed, what is biblical faith, he goes all the way back to the beginning. He goes all the way back and starts with Genesis 1 and the work of God's creation. And what, what I want you to see tonight is the doctrine of creation actually invites us. We can say a lot of things about it, but I just want to do three things. It invites us into three things. First, it invites us away from having all the answers into wonder. Two, it invites us away from cynicism and into joy. And the last thing I want you to see is it invites us away from having to prove ourselves into a deep rest that we all long for. It invites us away from having all the answers to wonder. It invites us away from cynicism. If you're like me, you need this into joy. And it invites us away from having to prove ourselves into a deep rest that we all long for. Let's take them one by one. First, it invites us away from having all the answers into wonder. And here's what I want you to see. It's pretty simple. In Scripture... Creation and the account of creation 
is less about the how and when and much more about the what and why. In the scriptures, the doctrine of creation, as we see it in Genesis 1 and 2 and throughout all of scripture, is less about the how and when and more about the what and why. Let's do it like this. Here's what we know. Did God create everything from nothing by the word of his power? Check. Did he uniquely create Adam and Eve and us in his image to share, not because he needed us, but to share his infinite glory and love and fellowship that he had as a Trinitarian being from, from before the foundation of the world, check. Did he create land and sea and space and sky and animals and flowers and mountains and deserts, the sun and the moon and the stars and so much more that we can see and name? Check. But did he tell us exactly how or exactly when he created all of this by the word of his power. And there is, this is what we need to see, lean into, we can talk about it, a record scratch. Sincere, Bible-believing, gospel-believing, preaching Christians have different convictions about creation. Some of us believe in a literal young earth made in six days some in the PCA, which is what I belong to, or UF belongs to, hold a more analogical view that sees the days of creation as longer periods of time. Some, and this is the more controversial one, have a view that reconciles what they, it's called theistic evolution, that reconciles what science says about the science of the possibility of especially microevolution. It tries to reconcile that with scripture while maintaining an historic Adam and Eve and what I want you to see is it's not that we don't care about the how and the when, especially if you're a science-minded person. I, I think there is great merit in trying to understand as much as we can from the scriptures, from science, and we hold the two where they uh, battle each other. Uh, we, we go with scripture, but where science is, is good and trustworthy, we believe it, we can reconcile scripture with it. Uh, the, for me, as a non-science-minded person, <laughs> I hesitate to share this, but I will because this is kind of where I am. As a non-science-minded person, uh, there's this tweet about space that I love so much that when Elon Musk was traveling to space, the tweet simply said, space seems really cool, but it's not my business. That's kind of how I feel about the how and when of creation. I believe what scripture says, that God brought it all by the word of his power in beautiful, magical ways, and I don't know, I can't tell you, I don't pretend to tell you, I don't think Scripture pretends to tell us exactly how he did it. And this is the point. We enter into dangerous territory. Just listen to me. We can disagree. We can have coffee. I would love to go for a walk, have breakfast, but listen to me. We enter into dangerous territory when we care more about the how and the when than the what and the why. Because the reality is we can be, we can be, arrogant in our understanding of the how and the when and really stake our flag on that. And we can miss the heart of the gospel that our creator is our redeemer and that the Lord Jesus came to make new creations. Let me try it like this. So I was reading this article in The Bitter Southerner by a woman named Martha Park. She is decidedly not a Christian. She grew up in the faith, but she had kind of, she's left it behind. But she wanted to see what Ken Ham's 
the ark experience was all about, the creation museum, probably, maybe, I assume some of you have been there. And she wrote this pretty moving article just about her experience, but there was a line, a a paragraph in it that really uh, stuck with me. Here's what she wrote. She said, when I first heard, and this is no shade to Ken Ham, but here's what she wrote. When I first heard of Ham and Answers in Genesis, I was struck by the insistence on answers in all official titles and materials. The Ark Encounter gift shop houses a sleek auditorium called the Answer Center where Ham and a rotating cast of characters give talks recorded for the Answers in Genesis podcast and reprinted in Answers magazine on subjects like grace, not race relations, uh, the forensics of God's fingerprint design, But here's the point. But the tagline at the bottom of articles on their website reads, don't just wonder, get answers. At a time when answers seem hard to come by, Ham is eager to give to people what they want. I had a a student, this is to the point. I had a student who had a grandfather who took him, true story, who took him to the Creation Museum six times. And we would talk about it. And what he had a hard time reconciling was he hated his grandfather. His grandfather was a preacher. His grandfather knew a lot about the Bible. And his grandfather staked his flag, not in the gospel. We have to have creation to get to the gospel. But in the how and the when. And can I say to you, let's go the other way that Jesus, that creation invites us. The Bible invites us. Jesus invites us this way. Don't just get answers. Get wonder. Here's the question for me and for you is when is the last time you really had wonder when you thought about God? When is the last time you really had wonder when you were reading scripture? When is the last time you really had wonder when you were at at church? When is the last time you really had wonder when you were in his creation? Listen, we don't have to just be I've said this to y'all a million times. I'm not a big outdoorsy guy. I, I consider myself an avid endorsement. So we can get, we don't have to just get wonder in the mountains. We can get wonder watching a beautiful show, eating a beautiful meal. But we're, the invitation of creation is away from having all the answers into wonder. But then two, the invitation of creation is an invitation away from cynicism into joy. Away from cynicism into joy. Let's talk about it for a second. Creation this is a simple way to say it. Creation invites us out of our cynical selves into the sheer joy of God's world. Creation invites us out of our cynical selves into the sheer joy of God's world. What is cynicism? One way we could come at it is cynicism is a self-protective response that seeks to control God and to control others by doubting his and their goodness I love the way that Stephen Colbert gets at it. He says it like this. Cynicism masquerades as wisdom, but it is the farthest thing from it because cynics don't learn anything. Because cynicism is a self-imposed blindness, a rejection of the world because we are afraid. And here's the point. Because we are afraid it will hurt us or disappoint us. This is why a lot of us, if you're like me, cynicism is easier than faith. Cynicism is, like for me, a shield. I was just, sometimes I'm, I'm, a, I'm a weird, I'm a weird little guy. Sometimes I'll go to sleep and, uh, to movies, and one of the things that I like to go to sleep to often is uh, Avenger, Avenger, the both Avengers movies, but, or the two last ones, the two best ones. 
So I was going to sleep last night to Infinity War, and there was that line when they get to Wakanda, everyone gets a shield, and cynicism is like my shield. I'm not going to let anything hurt me again. And what happens to me is I shrivel because I don't let the goodness in. Here's the point. The goodness of the Lord is on display everywhere in creation. The goodness and faithfulness and joy of the Lord is on display tangibly. That's why Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of God. Psalm 19 is this beautiful two book bookends. One talking about the book of creation, how it points us back to our creator. And then it talks about the, what we call the book of Christ. The salvation that God comes and as he enters into our world. But man, the best thing, I can't, I can't wait to share this. I hope it lands for you the way it landed for me. And it might not. That's the joy of preaching. The best thing I've read in this in the last forever is a book by Andrew Wilson. He's a British church planner, writer, pastor. And he's got this book called The God of All Things. And he makes this genius point where he says, we often think about our world as speaking anthropomorphically that God uses to speak anthropomorphically about himself. In other words, we talk about him being like a rock. We talk about him having a strong right arm. We know that, that God in himself, uh, it's not literal, but he says the better way to, to come at our world and our experience of it is to think that our world speaks theomorphically about him. And then he's got this little chapter. He's got like 27 little small chapters. He talks about dust at the beginning, how it points us back to our need for redemption. But my favorite is he talks about honey. And he says honey is points us to the sweetness of God. And just listen, it's on your handout. Listen to what he says. He's talking about the bees and the miracle that is honey. Just, just go with me here for a second. This is not a science lesson, although I did learn some things. But go with me as much as you can thinking about honey. Here's what he writes. The result, talking about the bees, of this foraging, dancing, digesting, storing, heating, flapping, and waxing extravaganza is an amber-colored, viscous liquid as sweet as granulated sugar. It is, let's just think about honey for a second. It is, <laughs> this takes me back. When I was a kid, my favorite dipping sauce at McDonald's, I think it's discontinued now, RIP, was honey. <laughs> have, you ever had a, have you ever had a McNug? Talk about joy. Have you ever had a McNug dipped in pure honey? Go change your life. It is sticky, <laughs> it is sticky, rich, golden, and delicious. It brightens the eyes and enlivens the soul. That is why we use it as a complimentary term for words, honeyed, smells, honeysuckle, and voices, mellifluous, and as an affectionate term for people we love. Hi, honey. It is also why we share our enjoyment of it with Samson, raccoons, skunks, the Egyptian pharaohs, Honey badgers, Solomon, and Winnie the Pooh. My son, eat honey for it is good, and the drippings of the honeycomb are sweet to your taste. And God, here's the point, God is the honey maker. A God with no stomach, no tongue, no sweet tooth, and no need for calories came up with the properties of honey before he created Adam's. He invented its color and its texture. Imagine the way it would seep into the holes of crumpets and pictured the indescribable flavors that would result when it was mixed with sea salt and turned into ice cream. Yes, please. He conceived of its spreadability, longevity. Did you know that honey never expires? In medicinal properties. He foresaw 
the elaborate dance of the bees and smiled. Then he spoke it all into being and behold, it was good. This makes me regret that we don't. Maybe there's honey in the Rice Krispies. Can I get a? Nope, that's all right. Where do you, here's the question. Where do you need the Lord to meet your cynicism with his great joy over you? Let me ask it this way. Do you know if the Lord cares this much about bees and the gift of honey? How much more does he care about you? How much more does he care about who you are, your personality, your story, what makes you you, your background? And that's the last thing I want you to see. It's an invitation. Creation is an invitation away from having all the answers into wonder. It's away from cynicism into joy. And the last thing I want you to see is it's a way. It's an invitation away from having to prove yourself into deep rest. The deep rest of belonging to Jesus. Let me say it like this. Creation invites us into the rest. Listen to this. Into the rest of being fearfully and wonderfully made, not of making ourselves. It invites us into the rest of being fearfully and wonderfully made, not of making ourselves. Creation says you are worthy of love by the sheer fact that the Lord made you. He thought you up. But if you're like me, instead of resting in this grounding, restful truth, I try to make myself. <clears throat> Think about it with me for a second. We try to make ourselves skinnier <clears throat> or swole, all the while hating our bodies. We try, to, we try to make ourselves less anxious or less depressed all the while trying to hide our struggle. We try to make ourselves more beautiful or interesting, all the while fearing and feeling so basic. We try to make ourselves more academically impressive, all the while wondering, do we measure up? We try to make ourselves, y'all, in so many ways, we try to make ourselves better, spiritually, physically, relationally, all the while, what we're really trying to do is silence the voice of shame in our lives. And no wonder we have a hard time finding rest. <clears throat> there is no rest in the weariness of trying to make yourself. I was thinking, this might sound weird. I'm going to go for it. I was thinking about this very specific moment. So I used to have an office in another church in town. <clears throat> and my kids were younger, so I didn't. My dream is to have a couch in my office because I watch the old shows and the men get to the office and then they lay down on the couch and take a nap. (laughs) Huge fan. That would be an amazing reality. We're trying to make it happen if I can find the right couch for my new office. But in this old office, no room for that. Didn't have that. So what I would do, this is, well, let's be vulnerable. I would take my sleeping bag and I (laughs) I would roll my sleeping bag on the floor And I would lay down and take a little nap. And one day, what I did not know was two things. One was that all the deacons had a key to my office because two, the electric panel was in my office. (laughs) So here I am, I've had a hard day. I'm about to go uh, teach a sermon at another church in town. And I'm like, I need a little nap before I go do that. 
who does, we all need little naps. Big naps for me, two hours plus is ideal. We could talk that. So, so I'm laying down, napping, and I wake up to my, <laughs> to my office door opening, and here's a deacon, and I try to like jump up as fast as I can and roll my... Because I was mortified, right? I was mortified that he thought I was napping in my office. And the more I thought about this, here it is, why was I mortified? Why was I so embarrassed? Why was I ashamed of my limits? Because I wanted him, I needed him to think I was a great campus minister, that I was industrious, that I was the kind of guy that didn't need a, a nap in his office on a sleeping bag. And it turns out I am that guy. <clears throat> That's the weariness and restlessness of trying to make ourselves and the invitation of creation and part of the rest that the Lord gives to us in belonging to him is to embrace those limits. Let me close with this. Max Licato, by no means a hero in the Reformed faith, but I think had some good stuff to say. And one of my favorite Max Licato books, this might sound strange to you, maybe you've heard of it, maybe you haven't. It's actually a kid's book called You Are Special. The idea of the book is really simple. Uh, these little wooden people uh, called the Wimmicks, they are going about their lives, but part of what they do to one another every day is the ones who are, their wood is, is shaped finely and their paint is, is beautiful, or, or the ones that have special talents, the little Wimmicks go around and they give the special Wimmicks a little star. And they have little stars, all, the special ones have little stars all over their bodies. But the broken ones, the ones whose wood is a little bit rough or the paint's a little bit chipped, get dots. And the dots represent you're a failure. The dots represent you suck. So we meet this little, in the story, we meet this little Wemmick called Punchinello. And Punchinello is a rough Wemmick. He's got lots of dots. In fact, he's got so many dots that he's embarrassed to leave his house. And one day he does leave his house and he meets something that surprises him. He meets this little Wemmick named Lucy. And to his shock, Lucy has no stars and no dots. And so he asks Lucy, how in the world are you going about our world with no stars and no dots? And she says, here's why. I want you to go meet our maker, Eli. It's because I spend time with Eli every day that, I, that, that, I, that no dots or stars will stick to me. And I'm just going to read from here because Punchinello sheepishly makes his way to Eli's house. I'm going to read the rest. So he makes his way. He's, he's entering into the door and here's how it goes. And then he heard his name, Punchinello. And the voice was deep and strong. And Punchinello stopped. Punchinello, how good to see you. Come and let me have a look at you. Punchinello turned slowly and looked at the large bearded craftsman. You know my name? The little Wemmick asked. Of course I do. I made you. Eli, the maker, stooped down and picked him up and set him on the bench. Hmm, the maker spoke thoughtfully as he looked at the gray dots. Looks like you've been given some bad marks. I didn't mean to, Eli. I really tried hard. Oh, you don't have to defend yourself to me, child. I don't care what the other Wemmicks think. You don't? No. And you shouldn't either. Who are they to give stars or dots? They're Wemmicks just like you. What they think doesn't matter, Punchinello. All that matters is what I think. And I think you are pretty special. Punchinello laughed. Me? Special? Why? I can't walk fast. I can't jump. 
my paint is peeling. Why do I matter to you? Eli looked at Punchinello and put his hands on those small wooden shoulders and spoke very slowly. Because you're mine. That's why you matter to me. Punchinello had never had anyone look at him like this, much less his maker. He didn't know what to say. Every day I've been hoping you'd come, Eli explained. I came because I met someone who had no marks, said Punchinello. I know. She told me about you. Why don't the stickers stay on her? The maker spoke softly. Because she has decided that what I think is more important than what they think. The stickers only stick if you let them. What? The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about their stickers. I'm not sure I understand. Eli smiled. You will, but it will take time. You've got a lot of marks. For now, just come and see me every day and let me remind you how much I care. Eli lifted Punchinello off the bench and set him on the ground. Remember, Eli said as the women walked out the door, you were special because I made you. And I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop, but in his heart he thought, I think he really means it. And when he did, a dot fell to the ground. Do you know how much you matter to God? If you grew up in the church, you know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. But do you know John 3.17 and 18? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, But in order that the world, you and me, might be saved through him, whoever believes in him is not condemned. And here's what I want you to hear. He knows every star that we've tried to deserve. He knows every dot of sin that we cannot seem to get off. And he says, because you're mine, that's why you matter to me. And so let's let the dots and the stars fall. For you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And even more, you are fearfully and wonderfully redeemed. Let's pray together. Lord, by your grace, would you let us rest in your gospel? Would you let us believe for a second and see for a second what it is that you really think of us, that you love us, that you moved heaven and earth to redeem us. You, the creator, are our redeemer and friend. Lord, would you bring that good news home to our hearts in the ways that we need tonight. We pray these things, Lord Christ, in your name. Amen. Please stand and sing with us our last song.